0: Well, last week technically was the first week of Advent, but because we're common way and we don't always do things the common way, uh, we're starting Advent this week. But uh, if you were here last week, uh, it was just a, a pleasure to be able to Press pause with you to take a breath. And um, for those of you that, that maybe weren't able to be here because of the holidays or, or plans and such, uh, just briefly kind of what, what we uh, covered together in our time was um, I wanted to give a space to process together and to pray and to reflect kind of the, the spectrum of emotions that this transition has brought, and especially coming off of the 19th Uh, with the celebration of of Matt and um, his time here. And so I thought that was important. Also thought it was important to be transparent with you in terms of what the board has laid out for me in this new role. And so I discussed a little bit of that and then uh, closed us in some encouraging words from Jesus. So if that's something you missed and that sounds interesting to you, you can go back and listen to it. So this week, Advent. Advent means coming, it means arrival, it means anticipating the coming of a notable person. And in this case of Christmas, it's anticipating the coming birth of Jesus. And this has been a gift that has been handed down to us in the ages of church tradition. And it's, it's a gift to us because it's a season that helps us get kind of more in touch with the deeper parts of ourselves that maybe we, uh, in our busyness, don't pay attention to. It's a season... Um, When you can kind of look at maybe those unsettled spaces within, you know those spaces that you just like, the the world's not supposed to be this way, and and God, where are you? And God, are you ever going to do something or make it better? Advent's a time to do that. It's a season of noticing not only the aches in our own soul, but the aches in the world, and those are many. And it's bringing those aches to God and saying, I believe that you're a caring God and I believe that I can approach these with hope. It's a season of waiting and it's a season of watching and of wonder. And all of it together kind of bringing us to this anticipation of the coming of the one who said he was going to come and make all things right again someday. I read this quote this week, celebrating is not appropriate for everyone but Advent is. Advent is always appropriate. And no matter what circumstances that you find yourself in today or after 2023, Advent is so appropriate because it reminds us that even if we can't see it, God is constantly doing something and he's constantly active and he's working in our soul. And so we're, to, we're invited together with, with all of each other and our friends to pause and to pay attention And to notice those seemingly unfixable places that are inside. Those dark, scary places. Those places of of waiting and those places of confusion or mystery. But here's the hard part. It's embracing them. And it's believing that God is still actively moving. And it's believing that God still wants to do a new thing. I don't know if some of you like to walk in the woods at this time of year or really like to walk in the woods in general, but uh, I have a favorite spot that I have kind of claimed as my, my God spot here, and it's Mound State Park. And I go out to Trail 5 so much. In fact, Trail 5 has sustained me this year <laughs> as I've walked it many times with God and with friends. But what I've noticed now, right, as we approach winter, is that when you look in the woods, it looks like there's nothing really happening There's no evidence of green, the leaves are all down, the the river's low, it's not rushing, and it's just really quiet, and you're like, is anything happening here? And you know, there's lots happening under the surface, and come spring, we'll find out. But that's what Advent is. It's a lot like kind of waiting in the dead of winter for spring to come, and it's believing and trusting in the unknown, mysterious work of God. It's watching and waiting for even the smallest expression of God's presence in our lives. And that's the direction that we're heading this morning. It's looking for life to spring forth out of unlikely places. And speaking of unlikely places, instead of taking us to the Gospels this morning, which is very typical for Advent, I want to take us on an Advent journey in the prophet from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. So our main text will be out of uh, Isaiah chapter 11. You can turn there in your Bibles or your devices. But first I want to give just a little bit of a background. So Isaiah was a prophet sent by God and he was commissioned to speak to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. And this was about 700 years before Christ. And Isaiah got this really, really, really hard assignment Because in that time of history, things weren't looking good for the nation of Israel. Things were looking really, really bad for the people of God. And this nation that was once a powerhouse, that once flourished under King David, about 200 years before that, was now divided. And it had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And they had turned away from God, and their hearts had grown cold. And instead of worshiping Yahweh, they had turned to idols to satisfy them. They were abusing their power. They were oppressing the poor. They had just indulged in every kind of selfish living and really whatever made them happy. Kind of sounds maybe a little familiar. So needless to say, they didn't keep up their end of the covenant with God. And because of that, God allowed them to face some consequences for that by handing them over to their enemies. And so (laughs) Isaiah was called specifically in this time to speak to the nation and deliver this awful news that the fall of Israel was gonna come at the hands of Assyria and later in exile when they were headed to Babylon. So Isaiah had to give this message to a nation that was once on top, to a nation that just had it all together. They had arrived and he had delivered this bad news and it wasn't just bad, it was like unimaginable, incomprehensible news that they would become a wasteland. And just maybe a little small remnant of hope would keep them going. So the Lord painted this picture to Isaiah in chapter six, verse 13. And he said this, picture this. This is now how God's painting it. And though a 10th remains in the land, meaning a 10th of the people, a remnant, it will again be laid to waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So what God is saying here is he's saying, uh, there's just going to be a small remnant of my people who remain, but the land is going to be completely destroyed. And just in the midst of this destruction, there's just going to be this little holy seed that's going to survive. And he likened it to a stump of all things in the land. Imagine that God comparing his people, comparing it to that of a useless stump. Growing from a tree, this is a terebinth, by the way. I don't know who the terebinth is, but that's the terebinth. Going from a tree that looked like that, that was green and, and lush and vibrant and growing and full of life. That was the nation. And God says, no more, you're gonna become like a stump in the land. Devastation. And you're probably wondering, what the people of God reduced to a stump? I mean, when I look at this, I think, you know, that feels kind of permanent, doesn't it? Like, there's no coming back from that. There's no, like, putting the tree back up, trying to prop it up and, and make it grow again. Like, that, that's kind of the, the final word. You can't recover from that type of devastation. And if you're hearing this, this should elicit some kind of shock, some kind of indignation, because if you remember, God gave a promise to King David, and he said, I will establish a house and a kingdom forever through you. And he said, this covenant's not going to be conditional. So, so God was saying, hey, no matter how wayward My people are going to be, I'm going to promise that a descendant will always uh, come from David and eventually the Messiah will come from his line. And so this stump doesn't seem to really fit that promise. And yet God's word was announced through Isaiah and it brought so much despair. These people that were once full of life and once flourishing would be completely flattened and reduced to a stump. Wow, Elise, that's a great Christmas message, you know? Like, destruction and stumps, and what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, hang with me, hope's coming. Because Isaiah didn't just get awful news to deliver. In fact, the book is also filled with messages of hope and redemption. So let's see how God chooses to answer. In chapter 11, verse 1, reread this. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So, what the Lord is saying and what he's speaking through Isaiah is basically this He says, My people are not going to remain a stump, but a shoot will sprout, and it's going to spring forth, and it's going to become a branch, and it's going to bear fruit. Now, you may be thinking, A shoot? Like, have you seen one? They're small. They're weak, they're vulnerable, they're completely unimpressive. I mean, really, this? This is how God answers destruction. By saying, I'm just gonna, you know, there's gonna be a shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse. Kinda looks like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, you know? Just not impressive at all. And so I say, really, God? A vibrant nation, a vibrant tree of Israel has been chopped down, and you answer with a sprout. Yes, and not only that, the Lord proceeds to declare that the shoot is going to turn into a branch, and it's going to bear fruit. So what is he saying? He's saying life is going to emerge, but it's going to start small, and it's going to be hardly noticeable but it's going to grow, and it's going to become a branch, and it's going to bear fruit. So who or what is this shoot? Well, the text says it originates from the stump of Jesse. Okay, well, who's Jesse? Jesse was the father of King David. And so from the stump of David's father, Jesse, we're reading, a shoot would come. Kind of helpful. Stay with me. Let's continue to read. So verse 2. This is how the shoot is described. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Notice there are seven, which is a number of completion, qualities of the spirit that is describing this person. He continued on. Um, We read. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's the prophesied coming Messiah. Now I know for some of us, prophecy doesn't exactly blow our hair back and it doesn't exactly keep us up till midnight reading. But I want you to engage here because the description, which we're going to go back and read it again, is just remarkable of how it describes Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. You know, when I read that, my mind goes to two places, two stories. Number one, when Jesus was baptized, remember that? He goes under the water. He comes out of the water. The heavens open. The Father Uh, speaks, and then it says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested on him. And the second place my mind goes is when Jesus went to the synagogue, and it was like his time when he announced that he was the fulfillment of the prophecy out of Isaiah 61, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and an understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. And I looked up the word might here. And this isn't just like a strong kind of thing. It is warrior-like is what this word means. That Jesus would come in a strength that was warrior-like. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord again, just having a reverence for God, a deep awe and wonder for who he is letting god be god. And Jesus delighted in that. It wasn't something he he did begrudgingly, but he delighted in it. So these seven qualities of the spirit described who he is. Now look at what he does. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. This is how humans judge. Which he doesn't make judgments based on appearances or decide what he hears with his ears. So he doesn't just give way and submit to people's opinions. But he rules with righteousness, and he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. So the way that he would use his authority and his power was so different from the rulers of the day. This would be startling. The rulers of that time were corrupt, and they were oppressive, and they took advantage of the vulnerable, and they were easily swayed, and they were power-hungry people. But Jesus is described as a totally different kind of king, a totally different kind of ruler, not in the earthly way that the people were used to it, but rather in ways that were right and true and just. And if we would continue on in this passage in Isaiah, you'd you'd continue to see this picture of like how he'd be the king over creation and the cosmos and restore all things right. But for sake of time, we're not going to get into all of that today. But Isaiah is pointing to this future ruler who would come from the royal line of David, and he's talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, who would save his people and again establish them as a light for the nations. A Messiah that would come from a stump. Side note, I found it interesting that, that the Lord used the stump of Jesse instead of stump of David, and so I really looked into that, and I found like five different answers, and about at the fifth one, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop this one because it just seems so speculative, but I think at the very least, what we can, can um, kind of remember when we see this is that Jesse was kind of like a nobody dad, and yet God chose his family line, God chose David coming from him to be the future king. And so David, uh, this is a reminder that David came from humble beginnings and so did Jesus. The future arrival of King Jesus would begin as a mere sprout out of a place of hopelessness. A baby born of a virgin to a people who had been longing and waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years in silence for the coming of their Messiah. And that sprout grew and became a branch, and he bore fruit, and he died, and he resurrected, and he now lives with you, and he lives with me. So here's the thing, Advent is a time to remember that no matter what, God still brings life out of unlikely places. So if that relationship ended this year, stumps don't have the last word, if you found that your finance has bottomed out, stumps don't have the last word. If that dream that you've been dreaming forever has come crashing down, stumps don't have the last word. If your loved one got that dreaded phone call, stumps don't have the last word. If your faith has lost its footing, stumps don't have the last word. And if life is simply not at all what you imagined it to be, stumps don't have the last word. This doesn't have to be your future. This doesn't have to define you, because this doesn't have the last word. Stumps don't have the last word. In fact, they could be the beginning. Because stumps have roots. And where roots are, there is life. This is not your destiny. And listen, it doesn't matter because... Uh, if, if, If it's our choices that have maybe got us to this place, if it's maybe our bad habits, if it's our sin like Israel, yeah, sometimes we make a stump out of our life or sometimes life just happens to us because we live in a fallen world and awful things happen all the time and suffering is real. So whether we had control over it or not, or a blend of both, I want you to know that grace still awaits you and hope can still emerge. But here's the reality. How does it feel when we can't see the sprout? How does it feel when we can't even see any like little bit of evidence that something's happening, that growth is there, that God is listening, there's nothing green, nothing's going on? And so you'd be like, yeah, Lisa, hope is good in the hypothetical, but, but this is where I'm living honestly right now with an area of my life. So what do we do? Do we just cash it in? Do we wave the white flag and surrender? Do we give up and be like, I prayed, 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 prayed and nothing happened? Is that how we respond? I uh, read a book late this summer called A Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. And He's a brilliant scholar, a writer, apologist, a theologian. Many of you have probably read some of his stuff. Honestly, most of his stuff goes way over my head, so I I can't get into it. (laughs) But this book, I could because it was a collection of his journal entries. His journal entries as he processed the grief of losing his wife. And you know, it was everything a journal should be. It was honest, and it was raw, and it was vulnerable, and at moments kind of shocking, and I had to put it down. (laughs) And the big question I had, and when I opened it up, and I approached it, and I said, how would someone who's like devoted himself to encouraging people in their faith, and literally known for convincing evidence for belief in God, how does someone like that respond when his world is leveled with loss. It's one thing to write books about faith. It's another thing to be able to live it out when your world comes crashing down. And I think we've, we've been there, haven't we? C.S. Lewis said this, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize that fact was to knock it down. I think in part, maybe what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that he's saying, my process of grief was not a test of God, because God knew what was in my heart already. But it was meant to bring awareness to myself, to my true condition of my faith, and my love in God. And so it was in the wrestling of his prayers, his unfiltered writing in his journal, that I think allowed him to see where his faith maybe needed a shift in perspective, maybe where he had been misguided or dependent on the wrong things. I mean, wrestling has a way of doing that. His world was devastated when he lost his wife, and rightfully so. Absolutely. This would be true for any of us. And what he discovered in the process of grieving that loss was a true condition of his faith, and that his faith was strong enough to be honest. I think his honesty with God, his courageous act to engage God in his outrage and in his doubts left room for a sprout of faith to grow once again. And I offer this specific example of CS Lewis because as a people of faith and as a church who regularly gathers, I want us to see that stumps can eventually, eventually, not right away, but be gifts sometimes to us. Albeit as painful as they are, they can be gifts, they can be an opportunity for a reset, a chance to grow something new. And this is what Jesus did when he quietly, like a tender shoot, entered planet Earth. It was the grand reset to show us a different way to live and to love. So as we move into Advent, Is there a place in your life, a stump, if you will, where God may want to do something new? May he want to grow something new? Think about that for a moment. What is it in your life that has been reduced to a stump? Where in your life has maybe the wind been taken out of your sails? Or the rug pulled out from underneath you? Let me give you a, a second, just pause and let you think about that. Maybe you're thinking, Lisa, I've got a forest of stumps right now in my life. <laughs> if that's the case, try and maybe just pick one. Just pick one. Now imagine with me if you would engage that part of your life. Right now, in this moment, to wrestle with it like C.S. Lewis wrestled. And what if in, uh, instead of like, despising the stump or ignoring it or being angry at it? What if for just this time, in this space right now, you chose to embrace it and maybe even, imagine, sit on it? Just imagine a, a, a flat stump where you just go and you sit on it and you be in that space. And what if, in that space, you invite Jesus to sit there with you? And as he sits with you, he sits with you in compassion. He doesn't sit with you in judgment. He's not saying, oh, I'm disappointed in you. But he looks at you with love, no lectures, just sits with you in that space, in that disappointment, in that heartbreak, in that despair. And he sits, your friend in whom is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, warrior strength, counsel, knowledge and a friend who delights in the Father's goodness to you. As you sit there, could you hear him say your name? And can you hear him say, can you trust me to grow something new? Can you trust me to grow something new here? And before you respond with your excuses or your reasons, just let it sit. I think God's asking, can you trust me to grow something new? So in the leveled parts of our lives, a Savior still comes, and he draws near, and the shoot can still come forth, and it will most likely come in ways you least expect and least can predict. Almost always is. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen. It's a little longer of a one. He writes, Our salvation comes from something small, tender, and vulnerable. Something hardly noticeable. God, who is the creator of the universe, comes to us in smallness, weakness, and hiddenness. I find this a hopeful message. Somehow I keep expecting Loud and impressive events to convince me and others of God's saving power. But he over and over again, I'm reminded that spectacles and power plays and big events are the ways of the world. Our temptation is to be distracted by them and made blind to the shoot that shall sprout from the stump. When I have no eyes for the small signs of God's presence, the smile of a baby, the carefree play of children, the words of encouragement and gestures of love offered by friends, I will always be tempted to despair. The small child of Bethlehem, the young, unknown man of Nazareth, the naked man on the cross, he asks for my full attention The work of our salvation takes place in the midst of a world that continues to shout and scream and overwhelm us with its claims and its promises. But the promise is hidden in the shoot that sprouts from the stump, a shoot that hardly anyone notices. So as you engage in Advent this Christmas season, what could it look like for you to intentionally look for those small evidences, those small sprouts of God's presence with you. Just a few weeks ago, I, um, I was in a, a really difficult spot uh, with my family. We were awaiting some potentially um, just very bad news with my brother's health. And it extended about two and a half weeks. And that feels like an eternity when you're waiting for some results to come back. And I already was kind of in the midst of all this transition with the church, kind of feeling like I was in a fragile place. And, and I remember saying, God, I, 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 are you gonna be able to hold me together if this comes back? Worst case scenario. And so I was on pins and needles and um, the week when I knew that we were gonna probably get the news, I remember calling some friends and just arranging to be able to be with somebody at all times, because I was scared to death to be by myself. And uh, one evening, I was driving to my friend's house, and as I was driving, I looked up at the sky, and there in the sky was a crescent moon, and for me, a crescent moon is a sign of God's presence with me. Ten years ago, I had a friend that um, shared this little thing. She says, when I look at a crescent moon, I think of God's thumbnail, and I thought, that's weird. but uh, if you imagine like a fist, you know, in that little tip of your thumbnail. And she said, when I see that crescent moon, I remember that God's got me and he's holding me. And I never forgot that. And it's 10 years later. And wouldn't you know, when I was driving in the car all the way to my friend's house, as I looked out my window, I mean, there was no avoiding it. It was right there. I saw this crescent moon and I just smiled. And there was this this peace that came over and, and and just the sense of, God, God, you're with me. Thank you for this small little sign in the sky that says that you got me, that you're going to hold me. I have a phrase I tell my friend, I said, if he can hold the stars and the moon in place, he can hold your life together. And so those are, those are um, like ways that remind myself of God's faithfulness and his promises to me. Even when you feel like the ground is going to swallow you whole or you're going to get some really bad news. So what would that look like for us to be attentive to the ways that God wants to tell us, I love you, I'm here, I've got you, I'm going to hold you, I'm going to make life sprout again. A few practices that maybe are, whoops, helpful, awesome, that we can um, perhaps practice this December. And I love this phrase that I I read this week, a watchful hope. And I thought, what would that look like for us to cultivate this watchful hope for the signs, the shoots, the sprouts, the evidence of God's presence and his working in our lives? And a simple one is just to watch a sunrise. But to watch it with this intention of, you know, you're sitting in the dark, you're waiting, and all of a sudden the glow starts and the sun comes up. And you remind yourself, yeah, the sun's going to shine again. God's faithful. He's going to bring light and darkness. And just kind of treat that space as like a prayer time of of anticipating and believing God to bring hope to, to maybe one of those places in your life that feels hopeless. Maybe it's lighting a candle. <laughs> Lots of candles around these days. <laughs> um, sitting in a in a place that's dark and just lighting and just seeing that small little flicker and reminding yourself that God is a God of of light that can come crashing into places that feel dark and use that that moment for some prayer. Maybe it's walking through the woods. Maybe you're never going to see a stump the same way again. (laughs) And believing that even when things don't look like it's vibrant and alive and moving, like sometimes the woods feel in the dead of winter to remind yourself that there's still much going on beneath the surface and God is still much very, is very much uh, working and alive and active all around you and in you. And maybe it's just a simple practice of reflecting on your day. I do this when I lay in bed at night before I go to sleep. I reflect the whole day, probably too much, but drawing your attention uh, to God and saying, God, how did I maybe miss you today? Or or what places in my day am I grateful for? And then reminding yourself that that was God's touch of love for you and evidence of his presence in your life. How could a simple, small practice be a step of faith that says, God, I trust you to grow something new. I trust you to grow something new. And as you cultivate a watchful hope, May God surprise you with the smallest of signs, the little holy sprouts that will spur you on and fill you with hope. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you surprise us Was showing up in unexpected, unlikely places. Because when I know that you're a God like that, that leaves room for all of us to be in your story. Thank you for your faithfulness through the ages to bring us a savior, to bring us Jesus, who comes and lives with us today. Thank you for the reminder that even out of hopeless places, even out of the stumps of our lives, they don't have to have the last word. But God, you delight in bringing signs and evidence of life, even if it's the smallest sprout or shoot that comes up. God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you awaken us to your active presence around us this season? Would you fill us up with an expectancy that life in this space too can come again, whatever space that is for us. May we trust your goodness for us and your love even in places that still are hard and feel impossible. God, we turn our attention to you as the God of hope this season and a savior who has been born to give us peace and joy and life in your name. And I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Would you uh, stand with me, please? Well, may you go in peace with a deep hope that God can once again bring life out of unlikely places in you, in the people you love, in our church. Be blessed.